If you if you just cast your mind back to my story a little bit, I'm in a locked cell in a mental institution on drugs that are really fudging my mind up with no future, no hope, not, not sure where life's going. And now I'm graduating from a Bible college with a degree. I'm demon free, I'm mental health free. I'm as happy as I could be. Mm. You know, this is what Jesus can do. Welcome, everybody. This is Simon Gilbo with Inspired. I'm excited to be back with you for another great episode. Uh, Inspired, if you're new to us, is all about sharing uh, basically friends and contacts of mine who've got great stories in all sorts of different spheres and walks of life of, of overcoming faith, despite sucker punches, despite the difficulties that have come up them. And we've all got so many uh, challenges in our own lives. So it's, it's good that hopefully in uh, 45 minutes or so, you'll leave encouraged, inspired, and you know we're bombarded with bad news so it's good to hear just uh, great stories isn't it of, of, of overcoming faith so, and i have no doubt you're gonna, we're going to be inspired this week because we've got a fantastic guest with us alan gardner welcome thanks simon yeah, great to have you so alan was just giving a testimony well telling his story his journey uh, so we've got a sort of uh, maybe it's a quarterly uh, men's event here in bath and last Saturday he was telling and wowing, just blowing people away with his story. It's an incredible story. He was world uh, karate champion back in 1987. He's a theologian, he's an artist, and uh, living up to his name uh, as gardener, he also runs a, a gardening business now. So anyway, let's get straight into it, Alan. Tell us a little bit about your, your background and growing up. How was that? Oh, thanks, Simon. You know what? First of all, I just want to say this, that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Mm -hmm. So anyone hearing this testimony, they can claim it for themselves, that they can get delivered as well. You know, whatever whatever I've been through, Jesus is no respecter of persons. What he's done for one, he'll do for another. So have, have faith when you hear this story today. Um, telling you, yeah, a little bit about my background. So uh, I grew up in Northampton uh, in the Midlands. Uh, I thought it was a wonderful place to live. And I was very much a, a happy-go-lucky sort of lad. Sports was always a big thing for me. So I used to play for Northampton Town. Um, I was a county javelin thrower in the basketball team, cricket, uh, football, all sorts of things. You know, I was, I was like, as long as it's sports, I'm into it. Mm -hmm. So I sort of threw myself into that um, big time. And uh, at school, I went to Northampton School for Boys, so that was a, uh, an all-boys school. Uh, a lot of bullying. I really used to get some punches at school, and uh, it was the sort of tradition that each year we'd get a good kicking when the new year came in. So you, you get three years of getting beaten up, which was quite interesting. Hmm. Um, <laughs> not every school does that, I'm sure. But... Um, yeah, Northampton was where I started my childhood. And yeah, I think probably one of the most significant moments there was when uh, my mum and dad decided to go their separate ways. My father, you know, he'd been in the RAF, was a lovely guy. My mum was a, uh, an aspiring actress. I think she always wanted to be an actress. But uh, they kind of went their separate ways. And that that was a challenging time for me. And so mum decided that we should move around a bit. So uh, every sort of couple of years, we would move somewhere new. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the places we moved to was uh, East Farndon, and we lived with a brigadier, Sir Alexander Stanier. He's a, quite a prominent figure in the British Army, uh, was awarded the Silver Star um, in the war and was uh, with Montgomery and various other things. So uh, we lived with him. We had various dignitaries come to the house. Um, Princess Anne, 
was very good friends with Sylvia, his daughter, and uh, and they were all very horsey back in that day. But I was only a young lad, so I was just sort of watching with sparkly eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we kind of moved around quite a lot, but, uh, you know, then there was a move coming up that I wasn't aware of, but uh, my mum was in uh, planning. So what was your, is that when your involvement kicked in with, with art and then martial arts? Yeah, that's right, yeah. So uh, basically, uh, mum had... Uh, we'd been going to Cornwall on holiday for many years and uh, my mum was having a bit of a love affair with St Ives. She'd been to art college. She was an accomplished artist and she wanted to join the art community down there. Uh, I should imagine many people have been to St Ives in Cornwall. It's mm-hmm. a beautiful place, rather intoxicating with lovely yellow beaches and blue seas. And as a young lad... Uh, you know, a teenage lad with uh, a town full of young girls and beaches to lie on. And, you know, I, I thought I'd found paradise, really. <laughs> um, <laughs> my mum was uh, basically, um, jo- she joined the arts club there, became the secretary to the arts club. And I was then entering a, a phase of being exposed to all these different artists in the community. So people like uh, Patrick Heron, uh, Terry Frost, uh, people like um, Barbara Hepworth. And so um, my mum's natural artistic gifting sort of rubbed off on me a bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I sort of tried my my hand at doing um, oil pastels. So I got an oil pastel painting together. I was quite happy with it. And uh, it was exhibited in the Tate Gallery in St. Ives, which uh, mm. apparently is quite prestigious. So uh, I was quite pleased with that. But art didn't just stay in the in the art realm. Uh, I'd been doing judo in Northampton, and uh, when I got down to St Ives, I thought, well, where am I going to do that? And I couldn't find a judo club, but I found a karate club. Mm-hmm. So I went from art to martial arts, and um, that was quite interesting. My in- English instructor was uh, quite a tough cookie. Uh, second down in Shogun karate, he was a first down in... Um, jiu-jitsu, very uh, accomplished with weapons. And um, we learned how to use samurai swords. We learned how to use nunchuckers, all sorts of different weaponry. So I I spent quite uh, a few years learning with him. And then I I was getting a bit good at it. I, I started to win a few competitions. And basically, I was coming up to my black belt grading. And as many people will know who've done martial arts, when you get your black belt, really, that's that's quite a, a landmark in your journey. So I was working hard towards this, and uh, my instructor said, oh, look, I don't think you should do your grading with me. I think you should do it with this guy. And he showed me a poster of Maseo Kawazoe, who is now a ninth stand, I believe, in the uh, Shotokan Karate Association. He's uh, really high up. So just to tell a little story about karate that some of you may know and may not know, it was invented by Gichin Funakoshi um, uh, on the Japanese island of Okinawa. Uh, he trained one man, uh, Masatoshi Nakayama, in the art of empty hand fighting called karate. And then Masatoshi Nakayama set up a university, the Takeshoku University, and he trained five men, Shirai, Anoida, Tanaka, Kawazoe, and Kanazawa. And Kawazoe, one of his pupils, was 
was my new instructor. Right. This was the Japanese guy. <laughs> mm. So it's, it's a bit like encountering Bruce Lee. Right. This guy can pull his legs up to his ears and kick vertically. He can go down and do the splits. He can backflip, you know, amazing chap. So I started training with him. I did my grading with him. It was very tough, very complicated. And in the end, there's a section where you have to do some fighting. And uh, he was looking around for someone to come out I could fight with. And he pulled out my English instructor. And I thought, oh, boy, hmm. this, this guy's a tough cookie. I'm going to have to really fight hard here. So I got into the battle with him. And uh, yeah, 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 I punched him quite a few times, kicked him a few times, and uh, his nose was bleeding. So in the end, I was awarded... <laughs> my my black belt and um, given a silk pressed certificate. So that was quite cool. From from then, I actually went on to train with the England selectors in London. I was then training with the European and World Champions, and then later on, I went in for a competition, uh, a world competition, where I became the world champion at Qatar. And um, the funny thing about that story is that. Uh, I was so hungry after fighting and training that I'd gone down to the chip shop with my friends and little did I know that the ceremony for presenting awards was going on during that time. And so uh, the trophy I'd won as world champion, my friend had collected on my behalf and he said, where have you been? <laughs> I got this trophy Shame. for you. And I said, I'm oh, sorry, I, I just needed some chips. <laughs> so, from then on, we kind of, it was a big in-joke. Uh, you know, Alan prefers chips to world championships. So, <laughs> um, so that that was really kind of my immersion into karate, and uh, you know, I I taught people privately as well. So, it was my life, really. It was it was kind of like a bit of a religion, to be honest. Mm. And were you searching? Were you generally open in your pursuit of truth? What was that your spiritual journey like? Yeah, well, I, I always kind of admired the karate journey because it was, you know, as Bruce Lee said, it was the art of fighting without fighting. <laughs> so you were learning to master your anger. You were learning to control your emotions. You were learning to put power in under a discipline. Mm -hmm. and, and then also it was about developing character, becoming a better person. So I thought, yeah, this is, this, this is good for me. But there's a, there was a, you know, a nagging doubt in the back of my head. I thought, yeah, but this doesn't explain everything. And one of the things that martial arts does is immerse you in either Buddhism, Zen Buddhism, or, you know, sort of Zen koans or riddles, and you learn all this philosophy. But it didn't really answer my question, you know, what's the truth? And so I kind of went on a bit of a journey to find out what the truth is mm -hmm. and um, doing that um, I, I sort of decided to ask my uh, karate instructor my English one you know what's the truth and he sort of told me a lot of mythological stuff and stuff I really didn't understand and what I didn't realize is that he was involved he was a warlock in in a local coven huh. and he was quite heavily involved in witchcraft and the occult and uh, I hadn't seen that side of him before and it was a little bit scary but there's something about it you know it was supernatural it had some intrigue and so I was I felt like I was being drawn into that a little bit I'd also sort of 
dabbled with crystal dowsing. I wanted to, as a sort of form of determinism, what's going to happen here or there when you, when you, you know, douse crystals. Many people will have done Ouija boards as I did. I actually went up to a medium once and said, I, I want to contact people that are dead. Can you help me do that? Mm-hmm. But I, I think, you know, I, I got a girlfriend that was into transcendental meditation and she said, I, I think this would suit you. you. You might like this as a practice or a religion. So I started to follow this. I became a vegetarian, which was quite unusual for me. Um, the funny thing was that as if we had an argument, I'd go out and have a full English breakfast just to invite her. <laughs> <laughs> and then come back and say, oh, yeah, lentils for me, please. You know, so <laughs> I, I did kind of cover it up a little bit. So th- this took me on a, on a trip um, up to Skelmersdale, uh, Lancashire way. So I, I went into Maharishi, one of Maharishi's domes. It's a huge, huge kind of Islamic sort of dome. And in there, there were all these next level meditators that were learning to meditate and levitate. And so by the aid of demonic powers, they could lift their bodies off the ground. Right. And it was very, a very strange atmosphere. You, you felt as if you weren't in zero gravity, but there, there was a spiritual dynamic going on in that room where you felt like, oh, I feel really light. And, you know, it, it was weird. It was mm. like, I can't really explain it very well. So that that was my kind of, you know, I was getting into that. And, uh, you know, the Beatles had been taught Transcendental Meditation by Maharishi. So I thought, oh, this is cool. You know, I'm, I'm learning something that's cool. But it didn't, it didn't provide me with any answers. In fact, things started to go a little bit pear-shaped. And uh, I started to experience occult activity. Things were moving in my home. Hmm. Uh, there were dark specters, uh, sort of demonic figures manifesting out of the ground in front of me. I was seeing uh, people's faces transfigure. I was becoming aware of um, people doing what they call, um, when they travel in the spirit, astral projection. Yeah. And and I was being gradually lured into this and uh, and. Uh, but it didn't really sit well with me, and, and it had quite an adverse effect. Hmm. Well, on your mental health, and that was coupled also with doing a lot of drugs, was it? Uh, well, yeah, it was actually. So, <laughs> funnily enough, as 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 time went on, uh, you know, I kind of had a bit of a had a bit of a meltdown. Really, I'd sort of my mind was went into a place where reality started to get confused and. I think it's what they call now a sort of psychosis or a psychotic state. And I kind of got depressed and and went down a kind of big spiral uh, where, you know, suicide was contemplated and attempted. There were delusions of grandeur, there were all sorts of things going on. And mm-hmm. the medical profession at that time were running out of diagnoses. Uh, first you're suffering with this, then you're suffering with that, and then you're suffering with this. Well... I'd made a preliminary uh, commitment to Jesus before um, having medication and medical help. And I started to explain my condition to them, uh, at which point they thought it was quite insightful. And um, and uh, the only thing that was clouding the issue, well, pretty much, was drug taking. So I, I got involved with taking LSD. I had a bunch of friends in St. Ives that were into that. 
And, um, you know, I was into all the hippie music, Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, and I'm taking drugs. I'm doing lots and lots of hash, lots and lots of speed, uh, lots of LSD, and gradually withdrew. But my mental health just went down here. I, you know, I, I didn't really mix with society much. I was not bothering my personal appearance. And uh, eventually, yeah, just had a full breakdown and, and had to be cared for in a hospital. So it was quite a, quite a heavy time, to be honest. Hmm. So what was, the, uh, what was the turning point in your, I guess, when you came to faith? Yeah, well, that, um, that, that was interesting. So as I said, I'd made a preliminary commitment to Jesus, not really fully understanding the commitment or what that meant. But it kind of gave me a, a, a bit of an insight, but I, I knew things weren't right. So my mother had been attending a church in St. Ives. It was an Anglican church. And I read over the, in the stonework, it said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Mm. Uh, and on my shoulders, there was just a weight, a darkness, something that I couldn't explain, uh, but it was, I just felt heavy. I felt confused and I, I needed something to change. And I'd been up to the church um on a service on a Sunday and been prayed for by a Jewish chap. And as I looked in his eyes, I just saw God. And I thought, wow, wow, this guy, God is in this guy. And as he prayed for me, the power of God hit me and I, I went over on the floor. And then <laughs> quite funnily, you know, in Anglican churches, they're not always familiar with the move of the Holy Spirit. And a lady sort of said, you know, I say, I think that young fellow's fallen over. You want to help him up? <laughs> so, you know, it, it was quite amusing, but very serious on the day when I wanted to be serious with God. So I went back on a day during the week to meet with the, the minister there, who was a, a monk, very anointed, very calm and deeply spiritual man. And uh, he opened this huge oak door with one of those big old keys, locked the door, and outside it, it just turned into a thunderstorm. So there's lightning, there's thunder, the wind's howling, the, you know, the rain's beating against the windows. And, you know, if, we, if I wanted dr drama for my, for my testimony, I had it. It was provided. <laughs> and so I'm talking to to this guy and Father John, and he, he, he said to me, he said, Alan, you've been into quite a few things, I, I believe. And I, I thought he'd been talking to my mother, but he hadn't. He was actually using one of his spiritual gifts, which was discernment. Mm -hmm. And he said, I, you know, I can tell you've been involved with drugs and there's something dark over you that needs to go. Uh, would you be prepared to let go of all of that and give your life to Christ? And and I'd been so broken by my experience. I'd not had any answers to the truth. Jesus had said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I thought, well, okay, if you're the truth, then, then I want that. And so there and then I prayed a prayer of repentance. I brought everything that I'd experienced to the foot of the cross. And the pastor prayed with me and something very dark and sinister peeled off of my back. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that moment, uh, I I've suddenly felt like I woke up. I came alive. Hmm. And I heard the voice of God say to me, 
Willie, you will be a minister for me. And <laughs> I sort of said, wow, yes. And so the vicar sort of said, you know, what was that? And I said, the Lord's just said to me, I'll be a minister. And I think knowing my history, he said, you know, just just take it one day at a time. Yeah, sure. Um, but actually, as we go on, you'll, you'll find out that that's, uh, that's quite true. So it, it was quite, um, I have to say, it was quite a radical conversion. Uh, uh, when we went outside of the church, uh, it was like God had stuck his paintbrush uh, into the palette and painted the grass greener, the sky bluer, the sun yellower, and all the birds were singing. Mm. And the only hymn I knew was All Things Gr- uh, Bright and Beautiful. So that's what I started singing. Beautiful. But I knew that something major had happened. I was alive. And so from then I, I went on to be baptized in water. Uh, I then was baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is another experience. And also remember being in the middle of a pagan festival in Cornwall where all the witches and warlocks were lining the streets, getting children to dance to their pagan deities, and I was sticking Jesus Loves You stickers on them Mm. (laughs) and sharing the gospel uh, whilst being scowled at. And uh, I remember one encounter where I was in a cafe talking to my ex-instructor who who started to kind of curse me and I started speaking in tongues and he started speaking in demonic tongues back to me. Mm-hmm. And then I knew there was a spiritual battle on. I thought, oh boy, this this stuff's real. You know, there's a battle on for every soul to, to know Jesus and to get free uh, of demonic influences. Yeah. I mean, this is so alien to most of our experiences. I know you're going to unpack that further. But before we get to you speaking in more detail on that one, you know, was it so you you had this radical conversion, you're on fire for God. Uh, Was it all plain sailing after that decision? Do you know, I'd love to say that it was, but I think one of the things that God does in a life is he brings wholeness. Mm -hmm. And... um, you know, the, the gospel is not about making converts. It's about making disciples. And people, they really need to know Jesus. And, I mean, even the disciples after three years were still acting pretty dumb at times. And <laughs> and I, I, I was the same. So I, I needed to have a bit more uh, liberation in my in my faith. And, sure. and so I'm, I met a couple in the church that were involved with healing and deliverance ministry. And... Um, I didn't really understand what all that was, but they said, I, we can tell that you've been involved in things that are not godly and you need to be set free from those things. So I was like, oh, okay. And so when I started to explain that I'd been involved in martial arts and then the occult and then seances and all sorts of other stuff and witchcraft, they said, yeah, yeah, all that needs to be um, repented of. And we need to break off any demonic curses or generational curses so that you can get free of those things. You see, everything, I believe everything has been done at the cross, but the cross then has to be appropriated to your life. Mm-hmm. And, and there are, you know, it's, <laughs> I'll make some people laugh now, but um, onions have layers and uh, ogres have layers like Shrek had layers and uh, we have layers. Yeah. <laughs> there are layers of our hearts and layers of our spirit and soul that have, been impregnated with things that are not from God, and we need to get those things out until you know, unless they 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 become birthed in the natural, and we don't we don't want those things birthing. So basically, I had, I had to cut a lot of ties. 
So I had to cut a lot of ties with the martial arts training because it's a there's a lot of Zen Buddhism, there's a lot of bowing to idols and, you know, making um, martial art instructors your teacher, not, not Jesus. There was also the involvement with Transcendental Meditation. I'd done a demonic ceremony where I'd pledged my life and, and made sacrifices to an idol to join that cult, so I had to break all that off. There was also quite a few temptations I was approached by a couple of lads that were in a London gang and they knew I was pretty handy. I was a bouncer at a nightclub and they sort of said, you know, Al, would you like to make some money on the side? And I said, well, well, yeah, sure. You know, well, okay, we'll, we'll make you a million pounds. We'll make you a millionaire if if you're up for it. So I said, uh, yeah, I'm up for it. Let's go. So they said, well, okay. And they handed me a, a, a wad of banknotes, and they said, just look through that a minute. So I was looking through, counting it. They were 20s and 50s. And I said, right. And they said, can you can you tell any difference between the notes? I said, um, no, not at all. It's all money, right? And they said, uh, not quite. It's actually forgery. So half of that is forgeries. But I could not tell the difference. Mm-hmm. And so they said, look, if you go abroad for us and launder, you know, just got to pay $6 million into all these different accounts... I'll, uh, we'll give you a million pounds. So that was a quite a strong temptation. And then when I looked up and I thought, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm going to do things like that. <laughs> but I found out that the penalty was 30 years inside. Right. And I thought, no, I'm not going to prison. <laughs> I'd, I'd had a few uh, clashes with shop fronts in, uh, in Cornwall where they, they were displaying obviously demonic images and things in the shop. So I decided to put my best left foot karate kick through the windows Damn. and ended up being thrown in various cells overnight where uh, <laughs> I was reprimanded for my behavior. So you really uh, were a, sort of a rough duel with uh, working, working out your salvation. I, I was, yeah, I was battling, you know, I was battling until I'd learned that, you know, our battle is not with flesh and blood, it's with principalities and powers in the dark you know, in the, in the heavenly realms, uh, you know, I still had a few issues with, with people, hmm. uh, none more than my family and friends who could understand me drinking all the time and doing drugs and having girlfriends and all the other things that I'd got into. Um, but Christianity, oh my gosh, really? So they couldn't understand that. They, they just didn't know what, what to say to that. Like, we, under, we, we get all the other stuff, but you've now picked something we don't know anything about. So I said, well, I'm really sorry about that, but you know, this is this is what I'm following now. And and here was the here was the good thing about this. I'd been discharged from from the hospital. I'd been seeing a psychiatrist. She said, uh, I think she was fed up with me talking to her about Jesus. She said, You're free to go. There's nothing wrong with you, get out. And then I went to see my clinical psychologist at the time, and he said, Alan, you're, you're as sane as I am. And I said, can I get a certificate? And he said, saying that, he said, no, don't use a daft, get out of my office. <laughs> and I handed in all the tablets that I'd been on uh, into boots where they recycled them. Mm-hmm. And I have never taken any drug since then for mental health issues. Brilliant. I got completely set free and I was discharged from all medical care and I've not lapsed since then. So I know there's a story in the Bible where there's a young lad who 
was demon-possessed, thrown into the fire, thrown into the waters. The demon tried to kill him. Jesus cast it out. And the boy was copus mentis. He was in his right mind and was handed back to his father. And that's really my story. Hmm. Hey, folks, two things I want to plug, really, this month uh, that I'm involved in. One is XCC, which is Extreme Character Challenge. You might remember we did a podcast with the guy who runs that, James Ray, superb men's ministry. We'll put that in the show notes, that last podcast for you to revisit if you want to. Um, And they do them in Scotland, in Wales, in England, and they are just brilliant. So you are a man or you know a man, that's all of us. Uh, I would highly recommend getting involved with that. So go to extremecharacterchallenge.com. Again, we'll put that in the blurb. Secondly, I'm off to Burundi for 10 days of our annual cycling fundraiser. Uh, If you are a cyclist, if you know a cyclist, would you want to sign up for next year? It's a superb experience. Honestly, I would wish it on anyone meeting our ministry partners as we drive around. Please, if you wanted to sponsor us, you know that this is a Great Lakes Outreach podcast working in the hungriest and the poorest country in the world. That is precious, broken, beautiful Burundi. So if you wanted to sponsor us, please go to greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired. And uh, yeah, if you're grateful for the podcast, if you've got any spare cash you want to send our way, that'd be beautiful. All right, let's get back to the podcast. You talk a lot about uh, adoption and uh, how to combat fatherlessness, don't you? Speak into that. Yeah, so, you know, I I don't think none of us realise, unless you've been through it, that the impact of not having a father figure in your life, or at least, you know, if you can't have your earthly father, you know, it really feeds into some deep psychological problems because a father is one in the Jewish tradition who forms your identity. He he passes on his trade to you or his skills. He's the one that moulds and fashions you like clay into what, you know, pretty much what he was, you know, taking into account your your own uniqueness. And, and of course, I didn't have a father uh, around then. He, he, you know, my, my father's name was Alan, the same as mine. Um, he adopted the surname Goodman because uh, he liked Benny Goodman, the um, I think he's a saxophonist or a trumpet player. So he was known as Benny Goodman. Um, and, you know, we ha- I have some photographs of him, you know, where he was attentive and caring. I was having donkey rides and playing in the swimming pool. But from the age of eight, because of the separation between him and my mum, there was unfortunately no further contact. And uh, I'm still trying to contact him today. So it'd be quite interesting if uh, he ever hears this message. But... Fatherlessness is probably one of the biggest problems in society today Mm. because when you know you're loved, you know that you're accepted, you know that you're validated, you know that you're worth something, uh, you know that, you know, you're recognized and, um, you you know, you are, you are cared for. Mm. It, It nurtures you as a child. You come out and you develop and grow normally. And, and so for me, my brothers did the job. I got two older brothers, Steve and Mike, and those guys were really like my my father figures. And so they started to help me in, in my journey through life. Um, obviously, my karate instructor was a bit of a father figure. And then as I was coming to faith, a gentleman who helped me get through a lot of my uh, troubles and depression was called Mick Burke, a fantastic Irishman. But, you know... Getting into all that inner healing, we 
there, there sort of came up this issue about orphanness. And, uh, you know, there's, there's times when we just feel like orphans. We feel abandoned. We feel like we're on this planet trying to work it all out ourselves, really. Trying to, how are we going to get by? Who's going to give me advice? How am I going to forge ahead? And, and what I, I started to do was develop a relationship with God as a father. And it's funny, in England, we say the Lord's Prayer, our father. Hmm. And yet so many people in Great Britain will see father as a judge or a, a disciplinarian or, you know, he's, he's a big fearful figure. But actually Jesus called him Abba daddy mm. you know he had that personal relationship with the father and and that's what i was introduced to that i could talk to god as a dad yeah and 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 reading through the book of proverbs every other chapter started with my son listen to my words my son take my words into your heart you know obey them and and so i started this journey of learning to be a son mm. of god if you like not not in the literal sense but to be a son to God, and he was my father. It says in, in Psalm 68, I believe, that he is a father to the fatherless. Yeah. And so even if you don't have a mother or father, God will be your dad. Mm. And he, I can testify he really does look after you. So I guess, um, you know, when I met my wonderful wife, which is a little bit later on in my story, but I started to have what they call Restoring the Foundations Ministry. And that was a comprehensive inner healing program to do with sonship. And so that was a real, a real great period of my life where I started to get rid of a lot of, a lot of tears, a lot of pain. And, and it's still an ongoing journey. We all, we all need at time to process grief or to process pain. But if we've got someone we can talk it through with, you know, whether it's a physical person or the Holy Spirit who is a counsellor, then we, we can certainly get that stuff processed. Mm. And uh, so looking back, you know, how have your experiences helped others? Well, that's a good, that's a good question, actually. You know, I, when I first gave my life to the Lord, I said, Lord, I do not want to be a pew-sitter. I am not interested in just filling, putting bums on seats in churches. I, I want to get out there and talk to people. I want to be real with people. My story's real. I, I was nobody's fool. I was convinced that nobody would convince me of the validity of Christianity. I was kind of quite volatile towards people that would witness to me on the street. So now that I had converted and actually had faith in a personal relationship, I thought, wow, you know, this is real. I, I'm not kidding. This is, this is genuine. And through all the stuff I'd been through, I thought, I've got to tell other people because it's important that, you know, they come to know Jesus and secure their place in heaven. I think there's many people out there today that think being a good person makes you a Christian. It doesn't. You, the only way to become a Christian is to receive Jesus into your life, have your sins forgiven, accept what was done at the cross. And then as you've received that forgiveness, then you have a completely new birth. Being born again is the, is the expression. And so for me, I thought, right, I'm going to witness to everybody. So I became this fairly manic evangelist, <laughs> herding crowds of teenagers around the streets of Penzance and uh, other places where I would tell them, you know, they need to give their lives to the Lord. And I, I really enjoyed that. And then as time went on, I felt that God was calling me to go to uh, Bible college. Mm -hmm. 
Well, you know, this presented a problem because I'd failed all my GCSEs at school, my O-levels back in the day. And I didn't really have an aptitude for academics and uh, I really wasn't educated uh, very well at all. So I just wasn't interested at the time. But so I I applied to this Bible college tentatively and um, they said, you need two A-levels or an entry exam. Um, I'd blown my A-levels. I'd trained as a chef. I, I was taking drugs at the time and so blew my exams. I actually had a fear of examination, so I didn't want to take them. So I took this entry test and uh, it was quite involved. I had to learn a bit of Greek and, Greek and Hebrew. But when I sent it off, they said, you've been unconditionally accepted. Wow. And so I, I was just blown away. I couldn't believe it. Um, and then, you know, that 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 presented another set of problems, which is the funding for that. And so it was about four and a half, five thousand pounds a term to pay for that education. And God provided all the money for that. Mm-hmm. That came in through various different means, the county council, the church and, and friends. So I enrolled in this college. It was an international college, uh, Assemblies of God, Pentecostal uh, denomination. And I stayed there for three years where I basically learnt the Bible inside out as best you can. And, um, yeah, I managed to get an honours degree in biblical theology. So from from Sheffield University, which is quite high academic-wise in, in, in modern terms, so I was thinking, gosh, I haven't even got a GCSE, but now I've got an honours degree. How, mm. how do you do that? But, you know, God can redeem your education. Yeah, He can redeem. You know, I was... If you, if you just cast your mind back to my story a little bit, I'm in a locked cell in a mental institution on drugs that are really fudging my mind up with no future, no hope, not, not sure where life's going. And now I'm graduating from a Bible college with a degree. I'm demon-free. I'm mental health-free. I'm, I'm as happy as I could be. Hmm. And, and it's just, you know, this is what Jesus can do. So... So I, I thought, well, getting this was part of God's plan to get trained at Bible college. But then after that, I thought, well, what am I going to do with all this? And he led me to work for a company called Life for the World. Mm-hmm. And they had a, um, a house called Caleb House down in Clevedon in Somerset. Now, I was in South Yorkshire, so once graduated, I had to come down to Clevedon for an interview. And I met this lady uh, some people will know called Maggie Hedden. She was the manager of the house. It was a house where you'd have roughly about 12 men. It was men only. And these guys were anything from Schedule 1 offenders to um, um, those that have been in prison, top heroin addicts, um, drug dealers, you know, people that have got violent pasts. Um, And she interviewed me and she had actually spent 10 years with Jackie Pullinger in the walled city in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. So she was a phenomenal individual to meet. And her experiences were very powerful. So I learned an awful lot from her. And I spent the next two years or so working in this place, which was a George Muller house, the, the guy that looked after orphans and yeah. fed them by faith. So that's one way I sort of from being on drugs, these guys said, well, you don't know what it's like to be on drugs. I'm like, actually, I do. Hmm. So I would tell them my testimony, my story of how I was involved with drugs and how I got free. So it was quite good. And I suppose the other thing that 
I'm involved with today is I, I do teaching. I run a life group in my home with students and, you know, share with them messages from the Bible and, and other experiences that I've had in ministry. So that's how I try and perpetuate what I've experienced in generations below me. Hmm. What would your advice be then to, to those who are looking into uh, maybe un- unhealthily into the supernatural or what are your experiences of God's supernatural power? Talking to that. Well, yeah, good one. I would say this. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And uh, He also said, you know, go. I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. And I give that authority to you. Now go and make disciples. So in the spiritual realm, in the supernatural realm, Jesus Christ is God. He is the top authority there is in the universe. And any supernatural power that operates outside of his headship, his authority structure, and his family, his church, is not from God. Mm -hmm. And I think so many people want to delve into whether it's tarot cards or mediums they want to get a reading to find out where they're going and what they're forgetting is that god has got gifts like that it's called prophecy it's called dream interpretation it's called words of knowledge Uh, they're the gifts of the holy spirit and so my advice is if you've if you've dabbled in the occult you've looked for supernatural answers or the truth in wrong places get out of that as fast as you can Go and uh, seek somebody who really knows Jesus. Find someone who has been born again of the Holy Spirit, who's someone who knows who God is, knows the Bible, and and who can help you with that. Because, you know, one of the things I had to do as someone who had dabbled in all that stuff was to hand back any gifting or experiences that I'd gained through occult practices. Mm -hmm. Because I was was in... I was sort of experiencing otherworldly stuff. And I thought, I need to. And God just said, well, if you give that back to me, we'll do a divine exchange. I'll take away all those that stuff and I'll give you my gifting. And so since that time, what's incredible is the Lord has given me the gift of prophecy. I've been able to see angels, which is not a hallucination. Uh, he's helped me to see into the spiritual realm. There was a an experience at Bible college where I actually left my body and went to heaven and met Jesus face to face, which I'll never forget. I couldn't talk for a whole day or two afterwards, <laughs> which most of my friends will say is impossible. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that was a, a major encounter. And I've seen all sorts of miracles. I've been on the road with certain evangelists that have laid hands, and I've laid hands on people. I've seen, uh, you know, legs lengthened, backs healed, knees healed, all sorts of medical conditions healed. Um, I've seen people delivered of demons. I've seen people get set free from mental illness and all sorts of things. Mm. And so my advice is that, you know, if you want to find out the real supernatural power, you need to look to Jesus because he's got it all. Amen. So some people, I mean, your story blows us away on many levels and it's uh, very much out of the box, um, but it's also very inspiring and encouraging. And people might want you to come and share to their church. Are, are, you, are you up for that? 
Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, my wife and I, my wife's got a great testimony too, but yeah, I, I really would like to share in churches or even in conferences or whatever, because I know that, that my story hits on drug addiction, mental health, martial arts, the searching for truth, fatherlessness, orphanness, all those things, you know, are relevant today. Mm. You know, even the worries and cares of this life, Simon, so many people are bogged down with money worries. I've got testimony after testimony of God providing financially, mm. but, you know, absolute miracles of provision. And so, yeah, I'd love to share that with, with churches. Yeah, that's fine. Great. And how will they be in touch with you? We'll stick it in the blurb, but you say it. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, so there's there's several ways they can get in touch with us. They can uh, email me. That's alangardner7 at yahoo.co.uk. That's A-L-A-N-G-A-R-D-N-E-R, the number seven, at yahoo.co.uk. You can also follow us on Instagram, which is Fiona and Alan. There's no gaps or spaces between that. It's just F-I-O-N-A-A-N-D-A-L-A-N. And that will also lead you into our prophetic art um, pages where you can see where I've done a lot of prophetic artwork um, and you can ask questions about that. And if you want to, you can also follow us on Vision Art on Facebook. Vision Art, okay. Great. Well, Alan, it's been, uh, I mean, my head's spinning with uh, (laughs) digesting and all that stuff, but uh, it's been edifying, it's been encouraging. You know, Jesus is Lord of all, isn't it? Every knee shall bow. And uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I've experienced plenty of demonic stuff as well and seen the power. It's only at the name of Jesus that demons will flee. That's right. And that's been your very much internalized reality of being completely set free. God bless you for that. God bless you in your ministry as you share that story. People be in touch with Alan then we'll stick all that stuff in the blurb uh, give us a great review if you've enjoyed it on Spotify iTunes uh, next week we've got another fantastic uh, guest I love the, the variety you know all our journeys are so different aren't they but that's it that's it for now I want to thank uh, Adam Thomas Steer for the editing and Mike Sandman for the mixing Alan God bless you brother yeah bless you Simon alright everybody have a great week see you next time toodaloo